0: Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. In this episode, a recording from the 2014 Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference, which was held at NUI Maynooth. The conference, now in its fourth year, was generously supported by the UCD School of History and Archives, UCD Research, Marsh's Library, Graduate Studies at NUI Maynooth, and the Department of History at NUI Maynooth. This podcast features a paper by Damien Duffy of NUI Maynooth. His paper was entitled, A Lady of Such Port." That all estates of the realm crouched unto her. Margaret Fitzgerald, Countess of Ormond. Um, Margaret Fitzgerald, daughter of Gareth Moore, Great great Earl of Kildare, and wife of Piers Butler, 8th Earl of Ormond, was one of the most remarkable and powerful women of 16th century Ireland. Largely under researched, she was a lady who possessed a strong and defined personality, which not only set her apart from many of her peers, but served to highlight the influence she held over her husband preserve the earldom of of Ormond and prepare the next generation. Coming from a family of strong Kildare women, she held a pivotal position between two of Ireland's chief aristocratic families by virtue of her marriage. How she successfully straddles the lines between private and public, personal and political, is indicative of how as Countess of Ormond she demonstrated female aristocratic power through her own prowess, every bit as much as by virtue of her birth or the arrangement of her marriage alliance. This Irish Tudor Countess is an example of a woman who the historical record has frequently neglected or forgotten through perhaps a sweeping narrative of the 16th century which has largely focused on conquest and reformation rather than on individuals and legacies. Although neither the exact date nor location is recorded, it is probable that Margaret was born here at Maynooth Castle in Kildare the year 1472 was generally proposed as the year of her birth. She was the second of six daughters of the great Earl and his first wife, Alison Fitz Eustace. Margaret has been described by the chronicler Richard Stanleyhurst as the fairest daughter of the Earl of Kildare. The Book of Holt, which was written in the mid-16th century, documents that for reasons of policy, Margaret was married to her father's foster son, Piers Butler of Potlerath in Kilkenny and that the marriage took place about the year of our Lord, 1485, in which case Margaret would have been about 12 or 13 years old. Richard Staneyhurst again described Margaret as a woman who was manlike, tall of stature. She had inherited likewise the most formidable qualities of the great earl, as she was to prove in a manner unfortunate for her brother Gerald. Stanley Hurst recounted how from her father she inherited her stature, her generosity, and the carriage and force of character so great that all estates of the realm crouched unto her, so politic that nothing was thought substantially debated without her advice. And she portrayed Margaret as a sure friend, a bitter enemy, hardly disliking where she fancied, and not easily fancying where she disliked. <laughs> Having at her father's behest found herself positioned between the two most powerful aristocratic families in medieval Ireland, she became a leading member of a family that was in a state of flux in the socio-political milieu of late 15th century Ireland. Colum Lennon has argued that by the early 16th century, the drive towards provincial overlordship on the part of some Irish magnates was a salient feature of political and military affairs throughout the island. In this light, it was the role of women in the cementing of personal relations, a feature of which the Great Earl of Kildare was clearly cognizant of in its propitious marriage alliances between not only local alliances, but also within and between the greater inter-ethnic fact- factional networks. That was one of the overriding methods used in the drive for power and as such overlordship. Despite being described as the fairest daughter of the Great Earl, it was as a butler, with Fitzgerald's lineage and connections, that Margaret emerged as one of the most influential and important women of her time. Stanleyhurst described her as a helpmate for peers by whom he is only ruled. Don Bryan, writing on the life of Margaret's father, the great Earl of Kildare, described Margaret as an active and marital housewife, an exaggeration of her father. She has been credited again by Stanyhurst with the only means at those days whereby her husband's country was reclaimed from the sluttish and unclean Irish custom to English bedding, housekeeping and civility. In fifteen sixteen, having been summoned to attend a meeting of the Irish Council in Dublin before Gareth Og, the ninth Earl of Kildare, regarding issues surrounding Entail, Piers Butler chose to send his wife Margaret instead. On that occasion, the Countess represented her husband and family before her brother. As the two Kildare siblings debated, it proved a successful meeting for the Countess as she provided witnesses to back up and support Peer's legitimacy to his claim to the earldom. Again, Staneyhurst's favourable portrayal of Margaret is corroborated by the English historian Thomas Cart, who, writing in the 18th century, observed that the Countess ruled her husband with with an iron hand Mm -hmm. and was a person of great wisdom and courage uncommon in her sex. Based on these near-contemporary testimonies, the Countess was firmly focused upon the preservation and enhancement of her husband's title and position. Locally, she focused upon the upkeep and construction of existing and new fortifications, manors and castles, whilst remaining committed to maintaining and advancing her husband's standing among the Anglo-Irish and at court. In his studies of aristocratic French women, Theodore Evergates argues that since the administration of aristocratic households and lands entailed overseeing knightly tenants and fiefs as well as children and allodial property, married women could find themselves acting with lordly powers. In an Irish context, this was certainly true of Margaret Fitzgerald, who on occasions performed public duties at her own instigation and not always at the behest of her husband demonstrating that she was aware of her own power politically and privately, and showing how aristocratic women used the union of marriage to assert and represent their own interests, as well as those of their spouses and families. Margaret's political prowess, which she exercised as the daughter of the great Earl of Kildare and the wife of the Earl of Ormond, spanned the wide and divided public and ethnic realms within colonial Ireland. She demonstrated a focused and steadfast support for peers and the Butler dynasty, and testified to the commitment of maintaining and expanding the family power base at all times and costs. In 1523, then aged 51 and mother of nine children, the Countess Margaret Fitzgerald, together with her sister-in-law Elizabeth Grey, Lady Kildare, travelled to London to represent their husband at court. Their husbands required representation as neither the butlers nor Kildare maintained peace in their struggle for mastery over the Midlands and the increasing tension between both men was escalating throughout the 1520s. Margaret's appearance in London demonstrated her recognised position as a butler of Ormond and as a powerful political individual herself. This visit to court appears to have been her first such visit, highlighting her recognition as a political negotiator, advisor and ambassador, representing the Ormond lordship at the highest level. Gareth Ogue, her brother, is often solely held responsible for Margaret Fitzgerald not securing her title when she expected it, in his delay in recognising of her husband Piers' claim to the earldom of Ormond, and thereby his sister's recognition as countess. In an attempt to discredit her brother, sometime in 1525, she secured possession of a letter, written by Kildare to James Earl of Desmond, who had been suspected of treason through correspondence with the King of France. Gareth Ogue, in corresponding with Henry VIII, tried desperately to explain how it was that a letter written from the Earl of Desmond to Kildare was forwarded intentionally to the King with the intention of causing trouble. The same letter, he said, his sister, the Lady of Ormond, caused to be taken from one of his servants, then lodged within her house. The Countess ensured the letter was received in London in what can only be described as a remarkable and astute plan of political sabotage against her own ostracised brother. This Countess knew, as did her brother, that all of the ninth Earl's power rested on the favour of the English monarch, and it was to the monarch directly that she ensured the troublesome letter was delivered plan to discredit and scandalize her brother had worked, and over the next decade as both families struggled to dominate each other, it led to the fall of the house of Kildare, Margaret's kin. The outcome for the male members of Margaret's family, including her half-brothers and nephews, was execution and the demise of centuries of status. Margaret's sex spared her a similar fate. In England, Barbara Harris has argued that, whether as wives or widows, most aristocratic women were mothers... The good mother, according to Harris, balanced affection and worldly concerns in much the same way as their vision of successful wifehood. Margaret Fitzgerald symbolises Harris's description. It would be the Countess's challenge to facilitate the economic and political successes of her children, as her parents had done for her and her sisters in Maynooth. The careers of such women were strengthened considerably as they became mothers, thereby adding significantly to the responsibilities and roles they had already taken up as wives. However, this motherhood would be in historically distinctive form, as women in Margaret's position invariably faced future challenges from their own sons and heirs, when and if the time came for the execution and implementation of their husband's wills. She gave her six daughters in marriage to the principal peers in Southern Ireland, namely the Earls of Thomond and Desmond, the Lords of Care, Dunboyne, D.C. and Curramore. and according to the records of the presentment of Ireland recorded from the county of the latter two lords, her sons-in-law there were as much assisted by her governing talents as the viceroy earl her husband had been. Margaret Countess of Ormond was by no means unique in how she used marriage to her benefit in 16th century Ireland. Her sister Eleanor first married Donald McCarthy Ray of Carberry and County Cork. What both sisters had in common, however, was that their father's plans for their futures facilitated them both with the ability to emerge as two of the most important and significant women of 16th century Ireland. Through the realisation that her second husband was a threat to her nephew Gerald's life, Margaret's sister Eleanor successfully defied her husband, Manus O'Donnell, and ended their marriage, thereby highlighting how she negated the patriarchal manipulation of marriage. Carl O'Connor has argued that aristocratic women did have the capacity to fracture the gender roles that maintained this society within which they operated. Margaret's efforts concerning the acquisition of the Earldom of Ormond for her husband may be described then and now as merely her duty, family business, expectations of a dutiful wife and well within her preserve as wife and mother of his sons. Furthermore, it may have been considered an expected aspect of the networking required of a noble wife, mother and countess. Despite obstacles and difficulties experienced and encountered with her father, her brother and her son, she established her own identity as chatelaine, builder, patron and landlord. In balancing her roles in domestic and public life, she emerged as an instigator of progress and an agent of modernisation within the lordship. The development of the butler estates, castles and manor houses, and the Countess's interest and knowledge in this regard, mirrors the Fitzgerald family's progressive and modernising influence within their lordship. Hurst, in his favourable account of her brother, Gareth Obe, noted how progressive the Earl was in his modernisation of the farming and running of the family estate and lands, and his reputation in the practice of good husbandry. Similarities between brother and sister become clear here in this aspect of progression and modernisation. They had been born into a family home at, uh, in Kildare that, as Colum Lennon has commented, had the eclat of monarchical power with magnificent furnishings and the symbols of potency. Regarding her interest in property, John Bradley has noted how before the dissolution of the monasteries took place in Ireland, the Countess had speculated in mona- monastic lands between 1536 and 1541. She combined her interest in property with the promotion of education and her role as patron. In keeping with the rapidly changing religious affairs of the 1530s and Margaret's interest in property, including former church lands, in 1538 she founded Kilkenny Grammar School with her husband Piers, one year before he died. The site of the new grammar school was chosen at the location of what was formerly the school of the vicar's Choral, which had been in Kilkenny since 1234. In the words of Staneyhurst again, it was at her proper costs and charges she built a schoolhouse near the churchyard of St. Candace's church, The school proved very successful, and by the 1550s the fame of the school itself had spread, with students coming from as far away as Dublin to be educated, Stanley himself among them. He was fulsome in his affectionate praise of the foundation of his alma mater, writing that, in the realm of Ireland no grammar school was so good, in England I am assured none better. And he claimed that from the school educated men sprang as if from a Trojan horse. As MP has noted, the founding of the grammar school suggests Margaret's genuine interest in letters and promoting renaissance civility like aristocratic patrons elsewhere in Europe. Margaret Fitzgerald made a lasting contribution to the cultural life of the earldom of Ormond. Her own mother, Alison Fitz Eustace, had been patron of bardic poets in the late 15th century. Similarly, her brother and his wife at Maynooth were generous sponsors of poets and rhymers. As cultural patroness, the countess demonstrated a genuine commitment to providing for the education and welfare of the citizens of the earldom and her initiative in employing foreign craftsmen within the castle testifies her determination to use her influence and resources to develop and modernise the local economy in Kilkenny while, whilst also demonstrating her personal aptitude for estate management. The peasantry of Kilkenny have provided a description of her effective estate management as a generous lady who gave alms bountifully to poor and needy people. Furthermore, in the bringing of craftsmen from Flanders to Kilkenny, Margaret Fitzgerald's awareness of trends and industry outside of Ireland is highlighted thus. Given that her childhood was spent at Newth Castle, both she and her brother were exposed to an aristocratic and cultural life. A surviving inventory of both her, of her brother's library and personal possessions dated 1518 is a testament to the refined background from which she came. According to Marianne Lyons, the Fitzgeralds were unique in being able, by virtue of their wealth and contacts, to compile a, rem- compile a remarkable library by Irish standards at Minute, and this consisted of a substantial collection of devotional and secular literary works. Despite the rivalry that emerged between brother and sister from the beginning of the 16th century, Margaret's familiarity with such luxuries doubtless left an impression. Aside from her patronage of continental craftsmen in Kilkenny, the Great Parchment Book of Waterford contains details of her purchase of foreign items shortly before her death in 1542. In a lavish demonstration of patronage, she donated funds to the Cathedral of Waterford for a set of vestments to be purchased in Flanders, whereby God's divine service might the more honourably be set forth in the Church. For aristocratic women, whether in Ireland, England or on continental Europe – Widowhood was generally the apogee of their careers as wives, mothers and aristocrats. In August 1539, less than two years after Piers Butler was invested as Earl of Ormond at Windsor, he died in Kilkenny. For Margaret, this next phase of her life not only elevated her into a position of greater prominence, yet in many ways it afforded her the opportunity to further develop her own political and private influence. During her marriage of 54 years, the Countess had amassed considerable public and private experience of business, politics, and financial knowledge, together with insights into the machinations of various social and familial relationships and networks of 16th century Ireland. After the death of Piers Butler, the rule of the counties of Kilkenny and Tipperary was committed to the government of the Lady Dowager of Ormond and Sir Richard Butler, her second son, and others. The wording of Pears' last will and testament attests to this acknowledgement of his wife as his successor. I appoint and constitute Margaret Fitzgerald, my lawful wife, James and Richard, my sons, my joint executors. The infantry or some of my goods, movable and immovable, I leave to be made at the discretion of Margaret, my wife. The Countess of Ormond is said to have spent her time after her husband's death most godly in contemplation and prayer. When in 59 he died she was in her late 60s, yet despite her age she was focused on the continued maintenance of all that she and Peers had achieved. While she was chief executrix, executrix of her husband's will, her son James received all of his father's castles and towns and manors. Margaret ensured that she was provided with one third of her will at a public hearing held in May 1540. The hearing stipulated that Margaret should hold during her natural life many butler castles and many houses. Walter Cowley, son of Robert Cowley, the countess's most trusted servant, the recorder of Waterford City and the Dean and Chancellor of Ossery were all present when this legal instrument was being drafted, undoubtedly at Margaret's behest, as she sought to secure this guarantee of her rights and privileges as countess. Doubtless feeling more secure having received this indenture, she was prepared to demonstrate to the King that she supported her son's claim, and two months later, on July 8th 1540, she wrote personally to Henry VIII in London. While she assured the King that he was in her prayers, and that she beseeched the Blessed Trinity to preserve your most royal person long and triumphantly, to reign with much victory, her motive in writing the letter was to impress upon the King her family's established and continued support for the crown. On that occasion, and in keeping with the common aristocratic custom at the time, she sent the king a gift of two goshocks Margaret's personal communication with the king highlights her respected position and influence within her family and within the earldom, and how she maintained a relationship with the monarch long after the death of her brother and the execution of her seven Geraldine kinsmen in February 1537. Her letter to Henry VIII in 1540 is described in the Presentment of Ireland, as having been written in a large and masculine but trembling hand, for the writer was aged. On the 24th of March 1542, just five months before the Countess herself died, three royal judges were appointed to arbitrate between mother and son, Countess and heir, in a dispute regarding the exact delineation of her jointure. Clearly the relationship between Margaret and James remained uneasy into the early 1540s up until her death. This feature of their relationship was a vital transition in the succession of the lordship and title. A bond was struck between Margaret and James, and the latter was to abide by this ruling concerning the Countess's possession of certain castles. Margaret f- favoured Ragged Castle in northern Kilkenny as her favourite residence and is said to have frequently issued forth from the castle herself at the head of her armed retainers to ravage the property of such of the neighbouring families she deemed to be her enemies. After such a long marriage, Margaret Fitzgerald's influence and authority as a widow testified to the success of her long career as wife of the Earl of Ormond, her political astuteness and able fulfilment of her multiple roles as mother, wife and widow, demonstrated her extensive knowledge, experience and networking abilities within various circles, especially those involving her husband, developed during her marriage. These experiences and skills proved vital in enabling her to cope with the challenges she faced as widow and as the figure at the centre of her late husband's patronage. Among contemporary historians from the learned Staneyhurst to the peasants of Kilkenny, It was Margaret who was recognised as the strong party in the marriage and the political brains behind her husband's rise to power. Positive as this description may seem, Graves counterbalances this by emphasising her responsibility for everything marvellous, cunning or cruel within the Ormond Lordship. Recorded in the Ormond Deeds is one example of the Countess exercising her authority in such a manner when in the autumn of 1540 regarding her confiscation of tenants' crops and the clearing of woodlands, It is evident that Margaret had ruled peers from the beginning. Staneyhurst tells us she emulated, if not excelled, her lord in feats of arms, having always a numerous train of armed followers, well-trained and accoutred, at her command, by whose aid she levied blackmail on her less powerful neighbours. Lord Deputy St Anthony St Ledger announced to the King the death of the Dowager Countess of Ormond in a letter dated August 27, 1542. The old lady of Ormond is deceased. She had died intestate on the 9th of August 1542 and is buried in St. Canis Cathedral alongside her husband in a double tomb representing equality between man and wife. The women of late 15th and early 16th century Ireland found themselves in the midst of sweeping change as the interplay of cultures, Gaelic and Anglo Irish, heralded social, religious, political, and legal upheaval. While the progression of the 16th century, With the progression of the 16th century, the dual nature of lordship, landholding and the fabric of society which had predominated in Ireland and influenced and ordered the lives of its various women since the Anglo-Normans arrived, as Ellis has noted, began to unravel until a new and very different society took its place. Until the Tudors focused more closely on Ireland in the 16th century, the legal, social and economic needs of women had functioned for almost 400 years alongside each other, albeit within two separate societies on the island of Ireland. With the changes brought about under the Tudor conquest, the lives of women, such as Margaret Fitzgerald, began to change swiftly as the long-held and established aristocratic delegation was swiftly falling out of favour and preference with the king as a method of ruling the lordship of Ireland. Following the fall of the House of Kildare, English-born deputies were now preferred as the most suitable governors of the administration in Dublin, operating within a framework of a more bureaucratic London-controlled rule within a unitary state. Margaret the Countess of Ormond did not subscribe to the role of passive subservient partner. Rather, she lived out a clearly defined active role within the wider Butler dynasty and the Anglo-Irish community, and on the social and political stage of her time within 16th-century Ireland. Furthermore, she demonstrated how female aristocratic power was achieved through a combination of individuality and the utilisation of the institution of marriage as she embraced the opportunities her family, both Kin and finial, afforded her. Finally, in the progression of her life cycle as an aristocratic Irish woman, Margaret Fitzgerald's career did not symbolise a woman who may have been described as a pawn, victim or subservient. Like many of her peers, she frequently performed men's roles within a male domain as familial situations required. In an Irish context, the lack of a strong central authority, namely the geographical remove from the court, coupled with the political importance of dynastic marriages, provided women with both political and influence political influence and, in the case of this countess of Ormond, direct access to political authority. For the Fitzgerald sisters and their peers, Marriages were far more a political expedient than any form of personal commitment, at least at the beginning. Eleanor Fitzgerald also demonstrated this blatantly by leaving her second husband, the moment he no longer was of any political advantage to her. The marriage of Margaret Fitzgerald and Piers Butler grew to represent both political expediency and their personal commitment through her resourcefulness within that marriage and especially her support of the Butler dynasty. Irish women, including aristocratic Irish women, were swiftly swept up in an extraordinary wave of political, legal, religious and social change regarding not only their individual lives as women but also the lives of those around them as medieval Ireland was fading into an uncertain and unknown modern world. Thank you.